following message is brought to you by Champions Church. For more information, please visit champschurch.com. I'm ready to get into the Word this morning. I want to give you a little report on my time away. I mean, it was three weeks, and, and it was in uh, two nations, Nigeria and Ghana. I got to be with uh, Apostle Frank. Many of you know Frank as he's come here. Uh, Frank Akins uh, had the most incredible time, series of, of meetings. It's hard to catch your breath when you're, when you're going through a series of meetings like that, but really powerful, fruitful meetings. There are trips that I've been on before where I have literally counted down the days to going home, thinking, uh, you know, I don't know if this was uh, the right call, but I can tell you this recent trip was really powerful. It was the right call. We were supposed to do it. Uh, Apostle Frank had a, a number of people drop out on their Africa conference, uh, so th there were a very limited number of speakers, and, and it ended up being a lot of sessions, and it was a really great time. That included nine uh, representatives from nine different countries, uh, so you had uh, most of West Africa and some of East Africa represented there receiving, and it was really an incredible time, very powerful time of impartation. Had some uh, really great meetings and some uh, incredible testimonies that came from that, and looking forward to, uh, to seeing more and more uh, opportunities for Champions Church to reach out and touch the nations. That was really an exciting time. Uh, but it is good to be back here with you. This is where I want to be. I thought I would, would dress up. They made this for me over there. They made a couple of these. Frank likes for us to dress alike. So if you see any pictures where we're wearing the same outfit, it's kind of funny, you know. He, so he'll, he'll, he'll have something made for me, and, and he'll have one made for himself, and we'll, we'll show up, and it's, we look like a superhero duo when we... <laughs> step in to minister, and I, I love it. I really do love it. Uh, and, and this is how this is supposed to fit. This was measured for my body, and this is it. So uh, I like it because you don't have to wear a suit and tie. I could get married or buried in this, either one. This is formal. This is as formal as it gets. And I have worn suit and tie before, you know, and you minister, and you're it's hot, and then you go to minister at the altar, and there's a, a, a crowd of people. And when you're done, I have literally sweat through the knot of my tie before. So, I mean, you're talking about, like, between your, your undershirt, your shirt, and then the knot of your tie, that's a lot of fabric to sweat through, and it gets pretty rough. So this is like, you know, let's, let's do church in pajamas. I, I feel like it's PJ day at church, and, you know, put cufflinks on your pajamas, and it's formal wear. And I love it. I think it's great. Uh, uh, this is the norm over there. Over here, it looks like we're waiting for the mothership to come. But I'm okay with that. So I thought I'd, I thought I'd wear it and, uh, and get a, uh, another use out of it here. I really enjoy it. It's very kind of them to include me in their culture over there. I love to bring it back over here. I want to get into the word. I'm looking forward to it. It's a Father's Day message. We're going to be laid back. If we had recliners, we'd kick them back right now, and we'd go easy, you know. I mean, this is going to be a Father's Day message. I wanted to try to identify some things that, that I've witnessed uh, by being a father, you know, and things that we can see in the Word here. So we're going to have a few pictures to help. I want to give you a few things that we're going to find, though. If you're taking notes, I want you to write these things down. Uh, we're going to be laid back and relaxed, but we're going to still receive a lot of things from the Scripture. So uh, the first thing that we're going to find is, is what saves us or how God actually saves us. 
You know, we, we, we get introduced into Christianity oftentimes through a very simple message of, of you, you have sin in your life and you need to be forgiven and God forgives you, accept Jesus as your Savior. And those are really great messages, but I want us to pay very close attention to the mechanics behind that when we get to that part of the Scripture. We're going to find out how God saves us. Another thing that we're going to find is what is never good. What's never good. There's something that if it's ever in your life, it's never good. And sometimes we might think it's good, but we need to be careful. It's a trap because it's never good. In fact, I want to make sure you caught that. I want you to say it's never good. It's never good, okay? So never. All right, and then the third thing we're going to find is how to be a child of God. I mean, it's Father's Day, it's very easy to speak about God being our Heavenly Father, but there are some things in the Scripture that are our calls and, and uh, requirements, they're standards that we live and we operate by in order to, to live out our lives as children of God. We're going to see one of those elements uh, before we close out in the Scripture here. So there's a few things that I've learned by being a father. I look back on my life as being a child, I look at my own children now, I look at my life uh, as a Christian, knowing that God is my heavenly father, and all of these things seem to kind of add up. You know, they were present when I was a kid, I see them in my kids, and I see them in my life as a Christian, with God as my father, and me as his child. And the first thing that I wrote down as we get into the word, is that we need to understand that our default is dirty. Your default is dirty. I want to look at a picture here. If we can get some pictures, you know, they say they're worth a thousand words. Yeah. Okay, well, it's hard to see that, but that's water, and we hope it's mud. But he, he's sitting there in that. Go ahead to the next picture. You know, I mean, our default is dirty. Well, welcome to Champions Church. We're glad that you're There you go. That looks like fun, right? I mean, if you set a kid loose, that's what you're going to get. That's what you're going to get every time. I mean, it doesn't matter what instruction you give them. Hey, guys, stay out of the mud. You know, we, it just rained. Why don't you stay out of the mud? So there's something about this that, that is in my head. I see this, that our default is dirty. I mean, as a believer, I need to understand that if I'm living casually, if I'm not following the instruction that I'm given, my default is going to be a mess. The things that I will do naturally, the things that that I will, will pursue if I abandon the instruction that I'm given is going to be extremely dirty. I want to look at a couple of passages of Scripture because I think they're important for us to know and embrace, knowing that our default is dirty. I mean, first would be uh, 1 John chapter 1. I want to look at verses 8 and 9. If you're taking notes, you can write that down. 1 John 1, 8 and 9. Emphasis on the 9. And in the book of 1 John, we see this in chapter 1, beginning in verse 8. If we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I mean, basically what John's writing here is our default is dirty. If we say we have no sin, we're liars. He goes on to say this in 9, and this is really incredible. It it inspires a a hope that, that there's a solution to this. Now, if we confess our sin, is what he says... He is faithful and just, he's talking about God our Father, to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us or purify us from all unrighteousness. Knowing that my default is dirty, when I take this scripture and I apply it to my life, I realize confession needs to be a part of my life. Confession needs to be a part of your life. Confession needs to be a part of the believer's life. 
Now, confession is something that we've strayed away from in a formal sense. When I was born, as an infant, I was born into the Catholic Church. My parents were Catholic. Now, confession is something that they celebrated often there. It was regular and it was very formal. And in a a Protestant movement, to separate from from some of the the things of the Catholic Church uh, that would be considered unbiblical or things along those lines, to to do this, certain things were were cut off and removed. And one of those things was that formal confession. But unfortunately, we can throw out the baby with the bathwater, so to speak. When really and truly, confession needs to be genuine. It needs to be pure. It's God that forgives It's not the priest that absolves. There are things that we need to understand, but if we just decide to cut off confession altogether, we're going to be dirty. Confession is an important and necessary part of the believer's life. It's one of the reasons why I enjoy the Saturday men's group. I'm around men that if I need to to cleanse myself in front of, I can. I love being married to my wife. She understands and knows that if I pull her aside and say, Honey, can I share something with you? That we probably need to pull up a chair and sit down for a minute. If we don't embrace confession as one of the tools that God's given us to function and operate as healthy children, we'll live out our lives dirty. I want to give you a passage of scripture, how God saves us with the mechanics behind it. I told you we'd find that. Titus chapter 3, we're going to look at verses 4 through 6. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It starts like this, but when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared. Now, if you want to find out what the, the, the but is for, it's talking about all the dirty stuff. Dirty, filthy, that default that we looked at. Now all of a sudden, upon being dirty, upon being filthy, the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared. And verse 5 says, And He saved us, not on the basis of our deeds, because our default is dirty, but in righteousness according to His mercy. And then it goes on to say the word by. Now when you see the word by there, you need to understand we're about to find out how this all works. He did this by, I mean, if I fix the car by turning the wrench, this turning the wrench that fixed the car, right? God saved us by, now here's the mechanics behind it. He did this by washing, the washing of regeneration. When we're born again, we are cleaned. That dirty default and all the mud and the muck and all of the filth that is a part of us is washed away. By washing through regeneration. And then a second thing he did, renewing by the Holy Spirit. That's the reason why the Holy Spirit is so important in our lives. Washing to get the dirt off. Renewing to change the things that we desire. So that that dirty default doesn't remain our default. But we can begin to hunger and thirst for the things of his kingdom rather than the things of this world. That was the first thing I thought when I was looking at life as a child, with God as our Father and us as His children, there's another thing. We need to understand this as we grow up as the children of God. That's that fear isn't from God. I want to look at a picture here. Fear is never from God. Yeah, so these are, you know, a couple of little kids, right? Those are my boys. And apparently they have challenged each other to see, you know, who's got the most guts, right? Who's got the most guts? Who can go the highest and then let her rip? There's actually better pictures than that one. That's just the picture that I had available and accessible. 
And no, you should not call Child Protective Services because I photographed that instead of put a stop to it. I just felt like it was the right thing to do to document that because it, it was really impressive. But, but fear, you can just leave that picture up there for your sake. Fear is not from God. I mean, every element of fear that exists in our lives has come from an outside influence. I want to say this. I mean, every limitation that you would come to know is a learned behavior. I mean, limits are learned. I remember once watching uh, my boys, when, when they were born, we, we were, were given some, some gifts by friends and, and, and by family, uh, I, and I was so grateful for that. We had a gift that was, was uh, given to us that was this monitor, a baby monitor that was a, a video. It had a live video feed. Now, today, that's, that's kind of a, a normal thing. I mean, you could probably pull it up on your cell phone, right? But, but this was a few years back where this was kind of a new thing. And I remember when I looked at it, I just thought, who would ever need such a thing? Well, I, I mean, we loved it. It was great. And so we were constantly monitoring the, the boys, and we, we would, would see things on there. And I remember early on, they, they had gone to bed, and, and they were asleep. Now, they, one of them specifically, but both of them enjoyed having a few things in the crib with them. And that included what we referred to as a bouquet of pacifiers. It was a fistful. Now, here's what it was amazing to me. Like, they didn't know how to count yet, but they would know if one was missing, right? I mean, who needs numbers to count? You just look, and you're like, eh, not all there, you know, and this becomes a problem. So I, I remember we would constantly be awakened in the night because they're not all there, and one would be out in the middle of the floor. You know, how it got there, who knows, you know. But one night I woke up, and I had, had been you know, disturbed by, by crying and things like that. And I looked on that monitor and I can see this little arm reaching through the bars of the crib there for a pacifier that's like eight feet away in the middle of the floor. And I just remember thinking, I mean, now listen to this. God corrected me, okay? So don't hate me for being honest with you. I remember thinking, well, that's dumb. No, I'm serious. Doesn't he know he can't reach that? And immediately, the Spirit of God just spoke this to my spirit. Son, limits are learned. And I felt such a conviction for my immediate thought of, well, that's dumb. And immediately began to cheer for him. You almost got it. Just keep stretching. You can get it. You can get it. Just keep going. And that's my commitment today is to understand, like, I, I don't want to, to label people and limit them. I don't want to be a place where limits are learned and, and forced upon people. I want to be a place where that's lifted off and shattered. I want to see people not be bound by learned limitations. And all fear and all limitations are learned. Now, some are learned from gravity, right? Gravity's taught me a few limitations. I remember one of our boys had, had, had managed to, and it was a physical feat that he did it. He got his bike up on top of the shed, and, and Ashley was doing something in the house, looked out the window, and he's climbing on his bike on top of the shed. And we're talking toddlers, right? And she goes out, and, and, you know, instead of freaking out, she just goes out, hey, what are you doing? He says, I'm about to ride it off. <laughs> you know? Because the, the limits of physics really hadn't been taught yet, right? In his mind, he's about to E.T. this thing over into the neighbor's yard, and, and it's, this is going to be awesome. 
Yeah, all, all limits are learned. All fear is, is, is learned, and it's not from God. I want to give you a couple of scriptures. 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear. He's not given us fear. If we carry any fear, it has come from an outside influence. It goes on to say, but he's given us power, love, and discipline, or soundness of mind. I want to give you a passage of scripture here. I don't want to preach on it because we could spend all of our time on this. But out of the gospel of Luke, you find out the point of the gospel through a, a prophecy that's being spoken by the father of John the Baptist. He's revealing the purpose of the gospel. And as he's finishing up his prophecy, Luke chapter 1, the verses I'm going to read are verse 74 and 75. As he's finishing up this prophecy, he reveals the purpose of the gospel. To give this to us, that's me and you, that we would be rescued from the hand of our enemies so that we could serve God without fear. Did you hear that? Without fear. Without fear in holiness and righteousness all of our days. Now that passage of scripture speaks volumes to me. We really could spend all of our time right there. When I hear that God is delivering me so that I won't be in bondage of fear, so that I can serve him in holiness and righteousness, what that tells me is that fear will compromise my holiness and my righteousness. We can't get fear We can't give fear a place in our heart or our mind. Any fear that exists in us doesn't come from God. It comes from some outside influence. In fact, I want to give you this passage of Scripture before we move on to what's next. 1 John 4, verse 18. 1 John 4, 18. There's absolutely no fear in love. And of course, as John writes in 1 John, God is love. But perfect love casts out all fear. Now, that's interesting to me because every time I've ever been afraid, I have found myself praying and asking for courage. God, make me brave. Give me courage. What I realize, what I need to be praying for, what I need to be seeking is, God, reveal your love to me in this moment. Reveal your love to me in this situation. Reveal your love to me because it's your love that I need to see this fear driven out of my life. Now, there's another thing that we need. Another thing that we need. Hey, give me the next picture here. Yeah, I like that one. Another thing we need, leave it right there. Don't go it alone, right? We're just looking at things that, that have been witnessed, have been witnessed by me and my, my childhood and then watching my children and then applying those things to my life as a Christian, as a child of God, him as my father and me as his son. Don't go it alone. Some of my favorite pictures involve my children holding shovels. I worked with some young men, and these guys were were college students at the local university where I was pastoring in Oklahoma, and and they had had desired to to grow in some things and learn in some things, and they they wanted to develop a relationship, and so I said, well, why don't you come and work on a few projects, and we'll get some time together, and it'd be great. Well, all the projects that we were working on involved shovels. You know, and here's these guys. These guys are are educated, and they're, 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 they're brilliant young men but they didn't know how to hold a shovel. You know, we're digging holes and they're doing like some of this stuff. And, and I mean, it was, it was, I mean, it really wasn't funny. I didn't laugh at them because again, I, I don't want to be uh, one that, that causes issues. I want to bring solutions. But I, I realized something. I, I realized these guys have never had a chance to do this. So I, early on, my kids suffered from their lack of knowledge of shovels because I decided that my children would know how to use a shovel. So was it three years old? 
That was their Christmas present for their third Christmas. They got, you know, it was a little shovel like, like would be a little handheld shovel for me, right? But it was a full-size shovel for them. So from then on, if we needed holes dug, we had our crew. So. But don't go it alone. I love this picture, right? That could be the city of Abilene. One guy working and another guy standing <laughs> watching. Is that, huh? Ah, sorry. Anyone listening at the city, I'm sorry. I repent. Yeah. But the point is, is they're both out there doing it, you know, and that's important for us. I mean, I look at my sons, and I, I praise God they've got each other. I had a sibling growing up, and for those that don't have siblings, you have opportunities to have friends because there's people that God brings in your life so that you don't go it alone. In fact, I told you we're going to find something that's never good. Genesis 2.18. God looked at man that he made. I mean, he looks at all of creation. He makes creation, and it's good. He, he makes the stars, and it's good. He sets the planets in order, and it's good. He makes all the creatures, and it's good. And he makes man, and he notices that man is alone, and he says this, Then the Lord said, It's not good for the man to be alone. <clears throat> I will make a helper suitable for him. Well, listen, as, as, as people, we need to be around other people. As Christians, we need help. The Holy Ghost is called the helper. In our Christianity, it's not good to go it alone. We need the Holy Spirit in our lives in order to have the help that God has established for us to be successful. Don't go it alone. Give me the next picture here. Okay, that one. Can you tell what that is? That is their closet. Now, they used to take everything out of their closet because that was also their jungle gym, right? So you climb up and then you kind of swing around there. And you, you, yeah, so what's the next one? Show me the next one. Yeah, and that's where they would hang out, right? So that's the top shelf there in the closet. So when you're, when you're looking for the kids and you can't find them, check the closet, right? So, so here's, I want to give you a passage of scripture. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, I want to read verses 9 through 12. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls, one will be able to lift up his companion. But woe to the one who falls, and I'm glad they didn't fall, right? <laughs> woe to the one who falls when there's not another to lift him up. It goes on to say more. Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? And if one can overpower him who's alone, two can resist. I want to give the next one. It goes on to say a cord of three isn't easily broken. Yeah, there you go. Look at that. So how, how old are they? They're, they're young guys there, right? Under two? Yeah. That's kind of creepy, isn't it? It looks like it's Bat Child, right? The Inquirer has, the National Inquirer has given us Bat Child. And I, I think we had, so, you know, you walk in the room and you see that and you kind of think like, hmm, yeah, I don't know if that's normal. Uh, is, there, is there another one? What do we have? What's the next one? Okay, we're, we're going to get to that. This is where we're going now. <clears throat> By the way, that other one, you know, the physical feat of climbing up into that, you know, the whole point of that was don't go it alone. There's something that we've learned, you know, in, in, in parenting that I, I didn't know it existed, but it was called twin escalation. Is it a syndrome? They call it a syndrome? That's terrible, right? Syndrome sounds awful. <laughs> Let's just call it twin escalation, right? The twin escalation thing. We'll go. But the point is, forget about twin, it's just about having someone else. Someone else to motivate. 
Someone else to continue to, to build you up when you're ready to quit, when you've tried it and you think, well, we can't go any further. Someone else can motivate. And we're called to motivate one another. We get more done when we have each other. And we, we don't need to go it alone. Now, this next one, leave this picture up. This next one, we have a call upon our lives. We need to, in order to, to function as children, God to be our father, us to be his kids, we need to be creative. Being creative is important and it's necessary. I, I want to give you a, a passage of scripture here. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I mean, so when we're faced with a challenge, when we're faced with an issue, we need to come into an understanding that though we might not be able to see the orthodox or the normal way of, of finding success in this challenge, whether it's relational, whether it is financial, whether it is in, in business, it doesn't matter what it is. No matter what, the challenges that we're faced with as we are raised up as the children of God, Him our Father, us His sons and daughters, we have a call, an anointing, and a purpose to be creative. To be creative. I mean, I don't know that there's much of a challenge or an issue here in this picture, but I do see a little bit of creativity. He got bored riding his bike and decided, I'm going to try this a little bit different. I remember once uh, as an adult, I was working at a, a behind the parts counter at a, a, a parts supply warehouse here in Abilene. And I was volunteering at the church. The church was very young. And uh, I just decided that, that I had kind of gotten bored with things. Now, now, getting bored is a dangerous thing, right? You don't want men to get bored. You don't want people to get bored, right? Something's going to happen. So I just decided, well, I think I've kind of tapped out and maxed out being right-handed. I'm going to go lefty for a while. And quit doing everything right-handed and started doing everything left-handed. And let me tell you something, my, my productivity at work took a dive, you know. I mean, it took me five minutes to dial the phone. You're like, ah, right, taking down a message. It's like, could you repeat that again? Can you say that again, please? All right. I tell you what, just call back later, you know. <laughs> but it's just about opening up the, the, the possibilities that exist, that are out there that we can easily overlook when we become content with things the way they are. God is creative. I mean, if you're going to write down anything today, if you're going to take away anything today, I think that's a good one to take away. God is creative and I'm his child. Therefore, I am creative. God is creative and so am I. Go ahead and show me the next one there. What do we have? Yes, okay. Well, that's the monitor. You see, it's almost got full battery there and we got good signal. Okay, well, that, that, my sons didn't sleep on a bed for the first, what, three years of their lives? Now, my, my mother came to visit once, and, and she thought this was a little barbaric. And so she said, I, I want to go and get them beds. And I said, listen, I'll let you do that because I love you, but it's not going to work, right? I know what's going to happen, you know, and sure enough, that's what happened. So, that, you know, these were, were beds from their grandmother. They, they call her Oma. These are beds from Oma, right? And they would just pick them up and move them around and set them wherever they wanted and climb on them. They would stack them. And then they could pull the mattresses off and have like prison riot style fights with the mattresses, which was fun to watch, but, you know, it's just not going to work out in the end. So, but, but that kind of creativity. We have a problem. We want to we watch our television, but we can't reach it. What are we going to do? We're going to find a solution. I mean, children are naturally creative. 
Unfortunately, sometimes sending them to school is where creativity gets crushed. Giving them teachers who, who have been limited in their own by, by having people tell them what they can't do. And creativity gets crushed, and that's a shame because God made us to be creative. We're creative straight out the womb. Creativity, problem solving. I want to give you a couple of passages of Scripture before we move on to this and close. Matthew 17, 20 says that nothing shall be impossible for you. There's more to that verse. I'd encourage you to look it up. The conditions that apply, the faith and the, the belief and the trust in God. But for this message, I think it's important for us to catch that because oftentimes in church we, we have drilled into us that nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. Nothing is impossible for God. But God, when we were born again, he put in us his spirit, his creativity, his mind for the purpose of that creativity and that thought process, not being something that we have to plead for in our prayers, but being something that we can operate in naturally here on the earth, looking just like our Father. And He has brought solution to some serious problems, creating an earth when there's nothing but a void, creating light when there's nothing but darkness. He's brought some solutions to some serious issues, bringing life to where there's death, Righteousness, where there's sin and corruption. I want to give you a passage of scripture here before we move forward. 1 Corinthians 2.16. 1 Corinthians 2.16. If you're going to write it down there in your notes, you can just write dot, 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 because we're taking the last part of this verse. Dot, 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 but we have the mind of Christ. I like that. Part of me wants to put that on a, a whole bunch of sticky notes, right? Like just take a whole post-it notepad and on each post-it write dot, 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 but we have the mind of Christ. And I want to go stick that on every single problem I see. Yep, that's a problem, but we have the mind of Christ. Yep, that's a problem, but we have a mind of Christ. Yeah, our, my marriage is suffering. Yep, but we have the mind of Christ. Yep, my children are, are, are falling away, but, but we have the mind of Christ. We have the solution to this problem. No matter what we face, no matter what we deal with, dot, 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 but we have the mind of Christ. We have a call to be creative. It's in us. God's creative and we're his kids. And there's another thing that you see in children, you know. And I think as we, as we continue in this message and, and bring it to a close, we ought to emphasize a, a very important thing that Jesus spoke in all of his preaching, in all of his, his teaching and impartation, in all of these things, he called for a child. He said, send me a child. You know, and it doesn't matter to me what the age of the child is. You may picture a toddler. You, you may picture, you know, a, a, a 10, 12-year-old. Who knows? It might have been a newborn. But Jesus took this child and in front of the, the, the masses, in front of those who had gathered to hear him speak, brought everything to this, this point, this, this place of necessity. We've got to address and deal with this. We have to pass through this gateway, this door to access anything. He took all of the teachings and just put them on pause. I know that you've loved the things that you've heard. I know that you have enjoyed the messages that you've heard. I know that you believe that you can apply them to your life and your life will improve. But all of that is for nothing unless you can become like this child. Unless you can become like this child. Unless you can come back to that place 
that place of trust and one to care for you, that place where, where there is not fear and anxiety yet entered into your life, that place where creativity is still an option, that place where you're still functioning and operating with only the influence of your father and not the influence of the world, you've got to become like this child. It's a call for each of us. And there's something that children do that I find in incredible. Kids seem to be solutions-oriented. They seem to be overcomers. When you think about how a child is born into this world, I mean, the, the absolute fullness of vulnerability, and yet they survive by trusting in the care of their parent. There's a message there that we've got to receive. I want to talk about overcoming for a moment. I want to give a couple of scriptures. Let's go to the next picture. Now, this is a cool picture. Because you have to think like, where's Waldo, right? Somewhere in that tree, and it's toward the top, you're going to see a kid with his head sticking out there. I don't, how old was he in that picture, do you know? He's young, so young that I think I had to, I got called from work to come get him down. Because his foot got stuck. His foot got wedged between two of the, yeah. So did you find him? Did you see him? I wish they had a little laser pointer. So if you're, if you're looking right at the middle of the picture, go up three-quarters of the way and maybe just a little touch to the right, and you'll see this smiling kid waving, right? But he's in there. You'll see him. My, I am married to Ashley. My kids are really white. So just look for the big white spot on that tree, and you'll find. Yeah, so he's up there. Did you find him yet? I, I don't have any. I want to throw something up there at it, but I, I don't want to. I shouldn't. I, I need to resist that. He's up there. If I stand here and point, it's not going to help. So, How, No, no. No, let me tell you something. That he, he went up that tree easier than I did. So here's the, here's the thing. I mean, overcoming problems and obstacles is something that, that we're, we're made for. We're made for that. I mean, as children here on the earth, we're made from, for that. I, it, I look back on, on raising my own sons, and I think of how many times I told them no, and as I've grown and as they've grown, I look back and I think, maybe I, I should have said yes a few more times. Just let them go for it. Ride the bike off the shed. Maybe not that one. Maybe not that one. Maybe not that one, but, but you know, who knows? The thing is, is we have a tremendous capacity to overcome. I mean, you're born again, right? You're a Christian, right? You're the greatest threat to hell since the resurrection. You are the strongest force of righteousness on the earth. It doesn't get more powerful than what sits in this room right here, right now. But do we feel that way? Do I feel that way? Do you feel that way? It's important how we feel. I mean, this is a little off the notes, but if you want to look at something, somebody turn to the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 33. I'll do it too. I'll race you. You remember that in children's church and Sunday school? I'm losing. I'm losing the race. I got it. You got it first, didn't you? Ah. Listen to this. Now, this is a passage of Scripture. This is when people have been called to overcome. 
God has called his children to overcome. He said, go into that land, I'm going to give it to you. You're going to conquer, you're going to overcome. Now this isn't just history for good reading. This is an example because it mirrors our life. God's called you to blessing, the fullness of his promise, and you're going to have to overcome. You're going to have to overcome the temptation, the bondage, the affliction that desires to lead you into darkness. And here in, in, in Numbers chapter 13 and verse 33, something happens. When people see the challenges that they're going to have to overcome, this is what they say. We saw challenges, or we saw giants, resistance, and we became like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Did you notice that? How you view yourself is how your enemies view you. It's important for us to see that God has made us into victorious overcomers. He has equipped us with everything we need to fight the biggest, greatest challenges on the earth and to take that earthly fight up into the heavens and bring down strongholds and principalities and powers and rulers and authorities. We truly are the greatest threat to hell since the resurrection. And we need to see it that way. I want to give you a few passages of Scripture here. Go to the next picture. I like this picture. Some of you have seen this before. He wanted something in that top shelf. All of the shelves and drawers below that are locked, but we didn't put a lock on that top one because we foolishly thought he can never get up there. <laughs> can you see we were wrong? I don't know how he got up there. He got what he wanted. He overcame because it's in us to overcome. There's a drive and a natural pursuit to achieve that God has placed inside of his children that is greater and more powerful than any threat to that that exists in the world or in the heavens today. So much so that it is at the foundation of our identity. I want to give you these passages of Scripture. I want you to take this one down, and I want you to listen carefully to the words that open up. 1 John chapter 5, I want to look at verses 4 and 5. Just leave that picture up there. That's, that's the last one for today. <laughs> 1 John chapter 5. Verses 4 and 5. It starts with this. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Did you hear that? That tells me something. That that which God has brought into existence, new birth, every one of us as we're born again, we are equipped with everything we need to overcome the world. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. That means the temptation the world throws at us, the compromise the world throws at us, the vain and empty promises that the world throws at us, all of those things, every single one of us who's born of God is equipped with everything we need to overcome it. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Now, I want to encourage you as you read this passage of Scripture to rightly understand faith from this perspective. Faith isn't just a measure of belief. It's a measure of trust. It's not a measure of belief. It's a measure of trust. Oftentimes in churches, we can torture and torment our own people by making it a measure of belief. 
and not a measure of trust. Now, here's something that I do on occasion. Some of you, we've done this here in the congregation, but it's just something I just call the elephant test, right? I mean, how many of you have faith that an elephant exists, right? You believe that in elephants, right? Okay, I want you to believe in them harder. Believe in them more. You just need to have more faith in elephants. I mean, it doesn't work that way. But belief in the Scripture, faith in the Scripture is a matter of trusting in the authority of God, His hand to uphold, His hand to provide, His hand to bring victory. Can we trust in Him? That is what brings about this ability to overcome whatever is born of God, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that we've overcome, our faith, our trust in Him. Who is the one who overcomes the world? But the one who trusts that Jesus is the Son of God. I want to give you a a final passage of Scripture as we close. I mentioned before we're going to find out how to be a child of God on this Father's Day, how to celebrate God as our Father. Revelation 21, I want to look at verses 5 through 7. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is speaking as it's being recorded, it's acknowledged as such. When it begins with this, And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. He said, write this down, for it's faithful and true. And then he said, it's done. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. And I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. Now pay very close attention to verse 7. He who overcomes will inherit these things. I will be his God and he will be my son. Overcoming. Walking in that nature that God has placed in us upon new birth for whatever is born of God overcomes. When God sends us, we go. When he calls us to speak, we speak. When he calls us to give, we give. When he calls us to do, we do. We don't burden ourselves with the questions of what if, but we simply overcome the existing challenge before our eyes by trusting that God will make a way. God will always make a way. I want to ask you to stand with me this Father's Day morning. I want to pray, I want to ask God to do something in each one of us. In the same way that Jesus would take that child and and display that child and reveal that unless you can become like this child, unless you can become like this child, the things of the kingdom of heaven are simply things that we speak about, that we talk about, that we wish for, but never obtain. I want every single one of us to come into a new understanding and awareness this morning, a deeper awareness and a deeper understanding that God is our Heavenly Father and that all that He has placed in us as He has caused us to be born of Him is sufficient to accomplish everything He would call us to accomplish in His Word written, in His Word spoken. So there where you stand, I want us to come together in prayer. I want us to ask God to do this together. I want to pray it over you, but you're welcome to be in prayer and agreement. 
Father, we come before you and we ask for something to take place in our hearts and in our minds. Though we have referred to you as our Heavenly Father, we desire for this to not become a, a static understanding, but let there be a new depth and a new understanding and a new awareness in each of us. That you've made us to be born of you. You who created the heavens and the earth. You who overcame the world. You who walk in fellowship with the Trinity. Let all that is of you be in us. That we would reveal to this world who you are as they would gaze upon us. Let us be your children in your image. That we wouldn't be burdened and restrained by learned behaviors and fears and anxieties and limitations that exist in this world, but that we would be released from those things. To put our trust in you, who can provide, who can meet every single need, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. Let us come to that place where we can truly be like that child coming back to all that we have had imparted to us upon our new birth. We ask for a work of the Holy Spirit to take place in each one of us. That there would be a move, a ministering move in each one of us. That things that would be a hindrance would be removed. And that all that is of you, of your spirit and of your word, that would lead us into prosperity as your children would be imparted, be received and be released to bear fruit. We thank you for the call and the anointing that you've placed upon our life to be your children. And we rejoice that you would be our Heavenly Father. And in gratitude and thanksgiving, as this work comes to pass in our hearts and in our minds, we say Happy Father's Day. We bless your name. We love you and give you thanks in the mighty name of Jesus. And all the saints declare Amen. Amen. Well, I want to wish you a very happy Father's Day. Thank you for listening to this message from Champions Church. We invite you to join us this Sunday for our celebration worship service. For more information, please visit us at champschurch.com.